Welcome to North Liberty Library's Love, Light, and Lit, the podcast, a series of universal talks gently guided by open hearts and open minds. Listen to ignite the light in you and to appreciate the light in others. Hello, I'm Kelly with North Liberty Library, and I thank you for joining us today on Love, Light, and Lit, the podcast. You can also catch Love, Light, and Lit on Facebook Live every Monday at 12 noon central. Please be sure to follow North Liberty Library on Facebook to get notifications. Family pets hold a cherished place in the hearts of many households. So when our trusted animal companions aren't feeling their best, it is the fortunate among us who can provide healthcare access to them. The care and nurturing of our doggies, kitties, and other furry friends during critical times is the mission of today's guest. Dr. Becky Jenna is a veterinarian in the Iowa City area that has an area of focus in exotics, emergency medicine, and surgery. In addition to veterinary medicine, Dr. Jenna also spends her time doing wildlife rehabilitation in the area. She shares her home with numerous animals including a basset hound named Neil, two ducks named Neil and Remington, and a large aquatic turtle named Scoop. Today, she's going to chat with us about her experiences in emergency veterinary care and how her vital work shapes the lives of her clients, her practice, and herself. Welcome, Dr. Jana. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. It's so good to have you on. So, Tell us a bit more about your work. I kind of highlighted a little bit there in the bio, but I'd like you to expand on the amazing work that you do. Going back a little bit further. So I graduated in 2015 from University of Illinois, and I never thought that I would enjoy emergency medicine. I didn't like the stress of it. Um, it just seemed way too unpredictable. And you don't really form a deep client relationship with these people because you're just seeing them on emergency. The place I work at now, it took me probably only a few months to realize that I really, really liked emergency medicine. I mean, it's a aspect of vet med where you're there for people when they absolutely need it. And a lot of the cases are life and death situations. And so even though you don't have a deep relationship with a client up front, you're kind of battling with them to get their pet better. And so I just felt like it's an area of medicine that a lot of people don't want to go into. And I think that's really unfortunate. Hmm. Yeah, I think especially when you're dealing with families who are working, where sometimes a pet is left alone and there may be more incidents to injury or the need for medical care, having emergency care can be vital, especially when you need it. What do you find most rewarding and fulfilling about that work? My focus is always, okay, let's get the animal stabilized. I mean, we see all kinds of emergencies, you know, everything from, oh, I accidentally cut the tip of my dog's ear off when I was trying to groom it to, oh my God, my dog got hit by a car. So the focus is on stabilizing the pets and then coming up with a plan, whether it be, okay, we continue to care for the animal at our facility versus, oh no, we send it back to the regular vet and have them follow up. I find the most satisfying cases, you know, a pet that's been sick for a long period of time and the people are just looking for a second, third, fourth opinion 
and then we're able to figure it out. I mean, I think that's the most rewarding or like a surgery where it's a life or death situation and everything turns out okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all those are very high stress situations where things can go poorly and that client has full trust in you and sometimes things don't go right, but it's their only choice. So they have to put full trust into you. Absolutely. And that can be hard for caregivers who feel very attached to their pets to hand over that care. What's some of the language or dialogue that you use, anything that can help to calm them and kind of center them in the situation and, you know, assuring them that their pets are in good care? I try not to use medical lingo. I try to explain everything in as simple terms as possible. I make sure to engage the client in the conversation, stop, ask if they have any questions. And then I always like to just give a couple different options. You know, we can do option one, option two, option three. I don't like to give people multiple options because then if they're stressed to begin with, then they get even more stressed out because they have to make a decision. If someone seems so stressed, that they can't make a decision, then I ask them, hey, are you okay if I make the decision that I think is best for your pet? And most people are okay with that. Um, And then I also, at the end of the conversation, I always give people kind of, hey, if this doesn't go as planned, this is our our backup plan. You know, Hmm. this, this, and this, I can refer you to Iowa State or a, a different place that has more capabilities than us. So I feel like I've worked at multiple different clinics before vet school. I've worked in multiple different settings. And I think people handle stress better if they have like a backup plan. And I also try to get, it's not like I try to know most clients personally, but I do try, if I know that they're really stressed out, a lot of times asking them more personal information can help too. So changing the topic a little bit to get them to calm down, you know, asking about their other pets. Oh, do you have any kids? Just changing the topic entirely and then going back to the stressful topic. Yeah. I like how you also give them a plan B that can be reassuring as well when you're talking with clients about their pets, for sure. I do want to share with the audience a bit about how you and I connected. If you visit the library, you know that we have an art wall And one of the artists that was featured on that art wall shared a story about Dr. Jana. The artist had brought in an injured bird for Dr. Jana to rehab, and she just went on singing your praises. So that's why I had to reach out to you uh, to hear more about your work. Let's dive into that aspect, the wildlife rehabilitation. How often do you find yourself treating local wildlife And does that care look different than your work with domesticated animals? So the goal is the same. I guess I'll take a few steps back. So, I mean, I've always been a big nature person, always had a lot of respect for wild animals. And before vet school, I did an internship at a place called Willowbrook Wildlife Center in Glenellen, Illinois. And then during vet school, I did like a wildlife club where we just took in wild animals and rehabbed them. And then I worked at the Brookfield Zoo for a while, too, in Brookfield, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved to Iowa, I applied for my wildlife license, and that was through the DNR. And I mean, when it comes to, okay, how many calls do I get a week? In the spring and summer, it can be anywhere from zero calls to upwards of, you know, after the derecho, I think I got like 50 calls a day for the first Mm -hmm. couple of days. And so things like storms, I always get a lot of calls after that. Fall and winter, I get a lot less calls. 
There's not as many animals out. A lot of the animals are hibernating and a lot of people aren't out too. So fall and winter, it's slow down. So it got busier during the derecho. Tell me a bit about what that experience was like going from just a few calls a week to 50. That had to be a big jolt for your workload. So tell me a bit about what that period was like after the duration. I'll tell you about the day itself. I don't know. It's like, I'll never forget that day. It's like I had to work that evening after the storm. And so I get to work. We didn't have power at work and my cell phone's going off. Everyone's finding, you know, baby squirrels falling out of trees, injured squirrels, injured birds. People are calling the clinic with injured wild animals. And so we ended up taking pretty much everything that people were calling in. And so we had like 20 something squirrels at the clinics. The technicians were all, you know, bottle feeding them all night long. We didn't have any power. And so obviously supplying heat support for these little guys that don't even have their eyes open was an issue. And so technicians were walking around with them in their pockets and their bra, you know, just trying to keep them warm. Yeah, I mean, after that, one of my technicians took a couple of the baby squirrels home. I took the rest home. And then me and my husband just raised all of them until we could release them. So that was about three months of just straight work. My, see, these are the stories that, and there were so many stories that came out of the derecho uh, last year. And these are the kinds of stories that I don't think have entered the dialogue as much, like what happens to our local wildlife when they're injured during these storms. So I think I speak for the audience in saying that we're thankful for what you and your crew did for those animals. And is this something that's related to veterinary work or is this a passion of yours or is it a mix of both? I think it's a mix of both. So, I mean, a lot of those animals we took in that night, a lot of them were relatively okay. They were just wet and cold and the mother had died. A lot of the other ones had injuries too. So, I mean, a lot of them had to be on antibiotics or a couple of them needed stitches and things like that, just from the wounds that they had. And I think, you know, you ask a normal person on the street, if they care about, you know, a wild bird or a wild squirrel that's injured. And most people would be like, why do you spend money and time on rehabbing something like that? But I think any animal should have a chance of surviving. Mm -hmm. And I think most people, if you're taking a walk and you see an injured animal in the street, most people are not going to just walk by and just say, oh, nature, let nature take its course. Most people do have that inner passion to do something about it. And that's why I like wildlife rehab. It has nothing to do with money. You do not have to pay to drop an animal off to me. It's just someone cares enough to take the time out of their day. I've had people drive two hours to drop off an animal. They don't have to do that. And tell me a bit about how a family, if we have families listening, we have so many wooded areas here in Iowa, as you know, where you can literally walk into the woods from your backyard, depending on where your house is located in town. What should a person do if they see an injured wild animal? What should be their first course of action? So the actual Iowa DNR, they have a list of If you just type in Iowa DNR rehab on Google, you can get a list of rehabbers. So I usually like when people call a rehabber first and they talk through kind of what they see. I ask people to send me pictures and videos because a lot of people will confuse a baby animal for an injured animal. And it's just, it's a baby animal. They don't know what's going on. They can't fly. They can't walk well. The mom's in the area. And then I end up with this animal that's stolen from the mom. 
So if people send me a video and a picture and explain to me what's going on, sometimes it's a, a straightforward answer that animal needs to come to me. Other times, hey, leave it alone, take a walk, come back and check on it in you know, 45 minutes and see if it's still in the exact same spot. By all means, I think the number one rule is don't touch the animal. Right. That's rule of thumb, especially when you're out with small kids and they see it and they want to head for it. It's best to not touch the animal and do some research and start contacting some folks, specifically from the list you mentioned on the DNR website. That's good to know. I do have a complaint about people that they find something, they take it home, and they try to take care of it for a week. And then they mm-hmm. kill me. And then it's like, all right, this thing is not being fed the correct diet. It's mm-hmm. super sick. And it's like, yes, the person's heart was in the right place. But right. They that's not doing them any favors. I think that's almost like kind of a sitcom-ish type of reaction. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure we've seen it in sitcoms where this injured animal comes up to a doorstep and then the family takes it in and it's this awesome moment. But in reality, we need to not touch the animal and reach out to the property. I don't don't scold people for doing that, but it's like, (laughs) all right, in the future, let's just do it this way instead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now for our families who are sharing homes with domesticated pets, we're moving from wildlife to pets. What are some ways that they can continue to keep their furry friends healthy and safe? I think the biggest thing is following up with routine care. So a lot of animals I see on emergency, unfortunately, are animals that have not been to a vet in five plus years. I have no medical records on these pets. They're not up to date on vaccines. And by the time I see them, sometimes they're so sick, I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. So following up, you know, especially with cats and dogs, even if you're animal is not due for vaccines, just do a wellness exam, check routine blood work, make sure that everything is okay, because it's a lot easier to treat something if you catch it early on, rather than waiting until the animal is so sick that it requires hospitalization or worst case scenario, euthanasia, because sometimes we can't fix the problem. Mm, Yes, absolutely. So routine checks. And what do routine checks? I'll just use cats and dogs for the most simplistic example. Is it annually, every six months? Once a year, unless it's, uh, you know, an older animal that has chronic issues, then we may say every six months. Well, Dr. Jana, I thank you for joining me today. I'm really confident our audience got some great information about not only care for domesticated animals, but also care for wildlife. Again, don't touch the animals, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) and everyone else. Call the experts like Dr. Jana. (laughs) Where can our listeners learn more about you and your practice? I'm not on social media at all. So if you search me, it's just going to pop up as bright eyes and bushy tails, or I'll pop up on like the DNR website as well. And my email address should be on there. So I do get emails off and on from people that you know, think there's an injured animal outside and they'll send me a video, something like that. All right. Well, we'll definitely tell our audience to use their Googles and look for you specifically also to go to the DNR website for any help or information or advice on how to handle animals in our local wildlife. Thank you. Well, I'll have you hang on for a minute, Dr. Jana, but I want to say goodbye to our audience. This is Kelly and this has been Love, Light and Lit, the podcast presented by North Liberty Library. Uh, Today, we talked with Dr. Becky Jana about veterinary health care and pet health. Please check out our show notes from today's episode to find out more about her work and resources. And of course, 
visit northlibertylibrary.org for additional programming and services. Thanks for listening. <laughs>